Yo, 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 what the fuck is going down, Energy Fam? We're back with episode 45 of the Red Pill Initiation Hour. Here with your host, Chris Story. Now, guys, I've been receiving some pretty interesting feedback over the past week. It's been a week since we last updated the episode archive. And I've been taking some time to read people's feedback and think of ways in order to help progress this podcast. And one of the more (laughs) prominent responses is that I talk too fucking much on these intros. So, yeah, normally we go about me pleading to you to drop me a review on iTunes on any of the platforms that you're listening to this. And I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do the same this episode. Fuck it. Whatevs. Because I really do want to let you guys know that it really does mean the world to me. You just listening to this, giving me the time of your day, that really does mean the world. Let alone the feedback you give me as well. So again, a massive thank you. And please, just let me know. Let me know. And yes, I will give you a little thank you in return. Something that is tangible, which is the exclusive exclusive the exclusive uh discount code for primalchemy.co.uk which is red pill that's the code red pill that when used at checkout you'll get 10% off anything within your shopping basket at the time of purchase now guys if you're brand new to the prime alchemy brand and this is the first time that you're listening to my voice you're listening to me introduce the podcast then you probably haven't been on the primealchemy.co.uk website so check it out we have our vitruvian protein on there which is our flagship organic whey protein superfood blend it's forged with adaptogenic herbs nootropic prebiotic and other high vibrational superfood powders all mixed into one Really worth your time to check out, guys. And also, we have our Ancestral Potential Coaching Programs, which is your chance to work one-to-one with myself. We have our Demigod Fitness, our Quantum Fuel Nutrition, our Enlightened Biohacking Tutoring, and our Ascended Mentorship Program. So a few of them for you to choose, guys. Uh, Yeah, check it out. I'm not going to go on it too much now because I wanted to keep this intro to the down low. Just remember, red pill. Let's go, red pill. You get 10% off. And another thing, as well, guys, some feedback I've been getting is that I always do this introduction now to the guest, and then I do another introduction as soon as the podcast begins. So, yeah, I'm basically from now on, I'm, ba- I'm just going to say, look, this is the guest, which is episode 45, and today's guest is Tom Mountjoy, Dr. Tom Mountjoy for that matter, aka. Primal Movers on Instagram. And yeah, I think I'm just going to jump straight into the episode. So I'm looking at it now. That's 3 minutes 20 in. It's not bad. Normally they normally they go on for about 7 minutes. So let me know. Let me know if you like a smaller intro or if you like me to ramble. I mean, if you like me rambling, then hey, fuck. You know you know what I'm, uh, I've been gifted in this in this incarnation with my uh, throat chakra is pretty fucking activated and I can chat shit for a while. So let me know. Let me know if you want it shortened or keep it long. Anyway, let's jump in. Guys, you know what time it is. Morpheus, tell these fools what's up. You take the blue pill, 
The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. As above, so below. What lies without resides within. Time for growth to begin. Mental, physical, and spiritual. We find balance with all three as we focus on totality. The whole, not the half. This is for those on a spiritual path. Looking for the clues to the answers of life. But the truth ain't always nice. So leave your ego at the door. Let your inner lion roar and your spirit soar. As we go deep down to the molecular level. Tap into the body with some yogic breath. Throw in some calisthenics for a true strength test. Like the shamans of old. We use the nature to heal. With a little bit of DMT to reveal. This whole life journey is a little surreal. And your mind needs a leader, not a follower in life. Let your mind be the master and you pay a hefty price. This next 60 minutes is about self mastery it's not an easy path and it's a lifelong journey but we up to empower with this red pill initiation hour with this red pill initiation hour brought to you by Prima Oprah the matrix is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth three two and one Oh shit, sweet baby Horus. Guys, we're back. Episode 45 this time. 40 fucking five. Slowly starting to rack up the numbers, rack up the episodes, guys. So yeah, today we're in for a treat. Uh another another great guest, another another guest that's on that's gonna drop some knowledge bombs along the way. Gonna spread the light get some truth in on the session. This is what we're after. And uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. So today's guest is someone who, again, man, Instagram, you're going to hear me say it a lot, guys. Instagram really is a double-edged sword in that if you use it correctly, you can connect with people that are really on some next level and really, really um, creating some real handy and useful uh, content in terms of the information that they're supplying from their specialty. And again, obviously, if you don't use it useful, you're going to end up just looking at uh, Insta girls and irrelevant shit on Worldstar and whatever the latest gossip is going around. But that's all on you guys. So let's just jump straight into this. Today's guest is Mr. Tom Mountjoy. Tom, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no worries, man. So like I was saying briefly then, I've, I've followed you for a while on Instagram. I had your buddy DJ Murakami on. And it's it basically just to give people a little bit of an introduction of who you are, what you're about. Um, just to kind of, yeah, just uh, give people a little bit of a taster of, yeah, what, what you're about, Tom, because you're a very interesting fellow indeed. Uh, and definitely one of the more unique characters on Instagram, just from the con- just from your videos and your captions and what and your the philosophy that's attached to your work and yeah, just uh, if you could give us a little bit of a rundown, Tom, that would be great. Sweet, yeah. Um, well, I'm still trying to work out what I'm about, uh, so it's <laughs> a process in itself. But um, but yeah, I grew up in New Zealand and um, and sort of had a very much an active sort of outdoor sporting um, based upbringing, and then. Um, that was sort of combined with um, with an academic 
grounding as well through my father and through yeah through a deep interest in in philosophy and um in cultural studies um so that sort of merged and into my adult life uh, as i traveled and began to really investigate sort of the nature of human behavior and instincts from a both a mental perspective and also a physical perspective and the way that these things overlap and the way that we uh, develop sort of a, an understanding about the world around us and our place in that. And um, so a lot of sort of philosophical sort of a musings mixed with a continual passion, I guess you could say, with, um, with the outdoors and nature and experience of being in uh, diverse landscapes and climates. And then um, along the way, then I guess I've uh, just sort of developed this teaching um, process or project, if you like, uh, teaching both in academic settings and also physical practice as well as a coach and a trainer and a guide. And um, yeah, that's sort of been my trajectory, lots of explorations and lots of, lots of fuck ups and (laughs) from my mistakes and just developing a real sort of genuine interest in, in the experience of life and human instincts and desires and the trajectories that we, that we sort of have in this, um, this conscious realm that we're in. It's pretty, uh, it's a pretty amazing space. So I'm just uh, just really a curious guy who's um, interested in sharing ideas with people, basically. Yeah, so I briefly mentioned uh, that I follow you on Instagram. So it's going to be primal movers for uh, no one, for, for anyone who's not familiar with Tom's account. And it's, uh, yeah, what got, what, what got you into doing, into doing that, Tom? Like, what, what was your sort of motivation? Did it start off as just like, this was just your Instagram and it just kind of blew up? Or is it something where you set out where you wanted to inform people of, of your sort of philosophy and your outlook and sort of drop some knowledge along the way? Yeah, um, the Primal Movers project actually started a good 10 or so years ago when I was um, conducting my PhD research in, in the Solomon Islands when I was living in the Pacific. Um, so I I had this uh, idea and passion that there was something sort of instinctual about the way that we moved and connected with nature and with other with other elements of nature. And the project became really a sort of a private um, diary, if you like. And I had um, a blog with, I think it was a WordPress blog, which is still available actually, um, still up there. So I was fascinated with, you know, my my interest in evolution and my interest in biomechanics and our connection with with our bodies in nature. And that project sort of developed um, a deeper sort of a journal-based philosophical output. And I was looking for a way of trying to share that um, beyond my own personal writings, if you like. And then Instagram came along, maybe just at a good time. The format sort of suited me. Um, I was able to produce a few little videos, share a few ideas of my own personal practice and training, and then also the element of the captions, the ability to be able to write and share a few little ideas and thoughts about different aspects of the philosophical nature of embodied experience, if you like. So, yeah, the project's been going on Instagram for, I think, three and a half years now. And it, as I said, it just started as a, a personal blog or a personal journal, like a way of getting me to be a little bit more creative and consistent with my with my journaling. And then, yeah, funnily enough, some people became interested and um, 
and here it is. It's my main, I guess it's my main outlet at the moment for um, connecting my practice or sharing my practice anyway. And that's, um, that's the genesis of the, of the Primal Movers project. It's, long, it's an ongoing project and it's been, it's been going for, for, for quite some time actually. And um, yeah, who knows where it's going to go, but it's, uh, it's an interesting format. The, the Instagram, uh, as far as the connectivity that I've managed to develop with some really uh, close friends now over the, over the years. Yeah, so just just wanted to pull that one back a bit, Tom. When you did your PhD over in the Solomon Islands, what was your thesis? Like, what was it specifically that you did? Originally, I was looking at sporting practice as a as a way of trying to understand uh, youth uh, and specifically masculinity in, in the Pacific Islands, in the way that sporting practice was. A very important part of of the culture of the of the of the youth of of the Solomon Islands, and uh, it was at the time um, ninety nine to two thousand and one. There was a period of ethnic conflict there in the islands, and sport was was one of the main factors that actually brought some of these um, conflicting parties together. So I went there um, as part of this big project that was going on here. At the University of Bergen, Norway, where I where I was working at the time, to look at ways of alternative ways of looking at the, looking at the perspectives of masculinity, youth, young males, and the way that sporting practice was some sort of way of reconciling, if you like, different kinds of, of tensions that were going on in societies at the time. So it was very much looking at embodied sporting practice and community relations from a from a young male perspective. So I was. I was embedded there with uh, with some sporting teams, uh, and travelled around with them, and lived with them uh, out on the islands, and, and really learnt about their way of life, really, and it developed uh, into something a bit a bit deeper and a bit more sort of diverse than my actual thesis topic. Um, so I got the thesis done for a few years, and then really developed um, my interest into the actual nature of the phenomenological practice of of, of these these young guys and the way that they related to their bodies and their surrounds so it became slightly a different project. I think as most PhD projects do. Mm. And how old were these, uh, how old were these guys? These guys were like youths. So they were maybe 15 to 20. Did they, um, did they go through any sort of rites of passage over, over that, over that end of the world? Yeah. I mean, the Solomon Islands is an extremely diverse, um, diverse nation. There's, there's thousands of islands and there's, you know, I think over 70 or 80 different languages, distinct languages spoken. Wow. So they all have very, um, they have all have very distinct practices, the different, uh, the different ethnicities and the different groups. So yeah, they do, they certainly have, um, they still have, certainly have traditional rites of passage at a very young age where they learn to hunt, learn to fish, learn to, um, develop a sense of survival, if you like, in isolation from families and from from their their mothers, and they're taken out and onto different missions. And they really learn they really they really learn to connect with with the landscape at a very young age as as a main rite of passage. So it's a very traditional society there, and uh, certainly certainly a completely completely different experience from living in the West. That's for sure. Wow. So when you were out there doing your research, did you, did you almost have that as your own sort of like your own sort of uh, initiatory process? Was it, is that 
was or were you already i'm guessing if you chose that sort of path to follow i'm guessing you must have had similar uh, thoughts moving into the uh into the phd but did that help with your own sort of philosophy on life on developing it being around these uh being around these kids yeah actually in very unexpected ways you know i entered the i entered the field as they call it um doing field work with my sort of western you know very academic western perspective uh, in terms of the way that the the body developed and the way that its societies were different and the way that the the west was sort of you know this colonial sort of a history that we that we had down in the southwest pacific and i so i entered the, the pacific islands with my own sort of cultural baggage if like and um and i was very i was immediately very humbled about you know the way that my own sort of epistemological understandings of human nature was just very much my perspective and i was entering a society that had completely different uh, understandings and perspectives about so many different aspects of life and that and that really forced me to question my own upbringing and my own um, cultural sort of relativistic uh, perspective on so many different aspects of of the way that I was raised and thought about different cultures and societies so I had this deep appreciation from a young age about culture and history and uh, you know from an anthropological perspective but uh, but nothing was really going to prepare me for what I for what I encountered there and it was a it was a very humbling experience and yeah as you say I guess it was a it was a rite of passage for me to to develop even more empathy if you like for mm. for the way that different cultures lead their lives and they have so much knowledge and power but very different forms of knowledge and power that we we in the west here are used to yeah have they still um have they still kept their sort of traditional heritage alive has it been influenced by western culture yet because i've i've been to a few luckily i've been luckily enough i've been able to travel quite a quite the uh, percentage of the world and it's interesting that when you go to these sort of places that a lot of the countries now it's like you've got the the elders that are holding ground they're holding on to their tradition but the young the younger generation are trying to break away they're trying to become westernized in a sense like they dress like westernized people they talk like westernized people they listen to the westernized music they don't do the same practices that they're um that the generations before them did is that the same sort of thing over and obviously you were in the Solomon Islands a while back now but just from back then was there like a was there a divide or anything that you could see or do they kind of are they all kind of in in together on this and keeping their tradition alive yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and that kind of strikes at the heart of what the what the anthropological project is about is trying to understand the way that um, modernity can affect a lot of these very you know quote unquote traditional societies. And there was certainly a a big divide between the between the elders there that were more interested in keeping a lot of these traditions alive and teaching the young young boys and girls uh, local traditions and, and and rituals and keeping these cultural sort of sensitivities very very alert and 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 alive there but there was the young the aspect of the young generation that you know they they developed a strong interest in western culture and there was a lot of the, the food supply changed um quite rapidly in the last decade or two so there was definitely a, a move towards more of a, a westernized outlook 
that often had a lot of sort of conflict point with a lot of the traditional ways of life there. So there was, there was this ongoing sort of a, I mean, ironically from coming from the university up here in Norway, we were, the project was actually trying to encourage or document a lot of this more traditional way of life. Um, and, you know, so that was kind of ironic that we up here in the West are kind of trying to sort of enter these traditional societies and encourage tradition, whereas they themselves, the younger generation, were, were very much interested in just being these you know, worldly, worldly citizens. They were looking to travel. They were looking to develop um, you know, codes of, of dress and, you know, they were interested in rap music and mm. MMA and different kinds of sports. So it was, it was very much this melting point. And I think it's still probably very evident now that societies all around the world are going through this transition where modernity is just, you know, sweeping across the world. Globalization is just everywhere. And yeah, it's a tough one, man, but it's, uh, it's certainly sad that a lot of the traditional uh, elements that make these societies so beautiful and interesting are, are seem to be dying out in many spots as well yeah as much as they're um like you said that they're they're sort of evolving in a cultural aspect or devolving depending on your outlook well have they kept their like their myths alive their sort of spiritual roots is that something that's still apparent or is or is everyone kind of disconnected i am just just intrigued by uh like indigenous cultures and if they've if they've kept their heritage alive or if it's something that has really been forgotten and sort of yeah just had the back turned on to yeah no and as i said there's 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 definitely a a deep sort of a traditional uh, sort of ritualistic uh, cosmological view of the world that is still very much alive um, mm. down in the southwestern pacific and even though the young people are you know often very distracted and there's you know there's the distraction of the internet and everything like that in the societies now it's uh, it, it's still very much a uh, you know traditional cosmology is still a very much pervasive throughout society so it's um it's something that i think is is, is always going to be around and prevalent but it's going to be i think merged with more of a more of a sort of a globalized outlook on the way that myth and religion and cosmologies are are not necessarily entirely localized now but people can actually still partake and participate in traditional cultural enactments and, and and ideas and mythologies but they can have more of a global orientation and their outlook as well of spirituality and religion etc oh yeah it's it's uh yeah it's fascinating just to uh learn firsthand experience these sort of uh changes within different cultures and yeah how 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 that can change your perspective as well on the world and obviously you we all like to think that we've got shit sorted, that we've got shit on lockdown. <laughs> and then you go to, and then you go to one of these places and what, what may come across is primitive you, in terms of the, uh, what they have available to them and the, and their outlook on the world ends up being quite advanced when you, uh, when you, un, when you understand it, not from a Western perspective, but you kind of, yeah, look at, look at the world through their lens. And it's, uh, it's interesting. There's some of the, uh, some of the wisdom, that they sort of gatekeep can be so powerful if it was integrated into our own life. And it's just yeah. finding a way to make that applicable to us. But uh, yeah, another thing, Tom, just moving on, man, it's like obviously one of the main things that you sort of, you've got going on when you, when you go onto your Instagram channel and you watch your, and you look at your content is 
everything to do with your sort of holistic approach to fitness and just being be that almost like integrative spirituality in that you're finding it within the moment of the movement that you that you do and it's like watching your videos you're you're very you you go out into the woods and you're just like barefoot and you're doing like movement meditation you you're lifting up heavy shit but they're all sort of awkward heavy objects that require your body to require a strong body intelligence in order to be able to uh in order to lift those sort of things and obviously it i don't know if you have a if you've done anything regarding it but a lot of the stuff that you do as well looks like it's based on like functional range conditioning and uh yeah just if you could give us a little bit of a insight into your outlook on all of these topics that would be great man because everything that you write about is fascinating and it's like you you give like a solid breakdown of everything you do and it's yeah it's just a it's a great read and it just gives you a different perspective than just i'm just exercising because i want to get in shape for you there's a much deeper um much deeper yearning to like to get something more than just the physical aspect of the exercise. Sure. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's really my sort of life passion and my life work is, is just trying to, to experience, experience the, you know, the human nature through, through the body and through, and through the wisdom of the body and, and that instinctual connection that we have to, to nature and being a part of nature as, as opposed to being you know, separate from nature. So my, my sort of mantra or my you know, tentative title of this book and process that I've been working on for so long is, is being in movement, um, the way that we can actually find motion and stillness. And then also paradoxically, we can find the stillness in the motion as well. So it's very much based upon the path of experience and the way that we transition um, in our movement. So we're not thinking about static movements or, or particular categories or conceptualizations of certain movement, but we're actually looking at the way that we're continually in motion. And the more that we slow things down, the more that we can actually get at that, as you said, that, that sort of that movement intelligence that's really innate to our, to our, our species. So, so a lot of my practice in recent years has been about slowing down to try and observe more about the way that my, body is actually operating when it's interacting in these um, organic surrounds, if you like, as opposed to the, you know, the square box of the gym environment. Cause I, I mean, I, I grew up in the very traditional um, strength and conditioning realm where growing up in New Zealand, I was, you know, started lifting weights, started getting the pump on at a young age, <laughs> um, very much involved in rugby, um, cycling, you know, hard sort of strength and explosive sports and learning you know, anatomy, kinesiology from a, from a Western perspective. So my understanding was very, much, was very much based upon this more quantifiable sort of understanding of, of the body and of muscles and of strength in a very, very linear, if you, if you like, um, realm. So my, my experience, as I was just alluding to in the Solomon Islands, really developed this fascination really for what's maybe called or, ran, or sort of thrown out there as natural movement the way that people just move naturally without actually thinking too much about what it is they're doing so it's not a squat or it's not a it's not a press or a it's not some sort of movement they're doing they're just moving because they're fishing or they're hunting or they're 
gathering in the gardens. So I, I developed a deep fascination and went through this MoveNet uh, training. You're probably familiar with the MoveNet. Mm-hmm. Went through this system years ago and, and really, really was so interested in the way that the bodies were so adaptable when it comes to um, you know, having an intent and an, a desire to be very connected with their surrounds. So I'm lucky enough to, to live near a, a wooded area just behind my home here in Norway. And a lot of the videos you see on, on Instagram are, are from, from this area. So this is my training ground, if you like, my, my gym behind my house. And I, and I basically just get, go there with, um, with the intent of just connecting with my body, with my breath and experiencing the, the elements, if it's, if it's cold or if it's warm or, or whatever's going on. And then just allow, allow in a way my, my senses and my intuition just to, to get my body um, in action. And sometimes it'll be a lot of stillness practice, a lot of standing meditation practice, breathing, slowly walking around or, or other times it'll be yeah more intensive sort of um, sympathetic kind of work where I'm lifting rocks and logs and and just being really curious I think about the the possibilities that we have to get out of our mind and and get more into our bodies and have more of a deeper mm. connection with the with the possibilities that our bodies have for for developing a closeness to our to our sense of not only sense of connection but also it helps to sort of develop a more of a calming effect on on the mind I find because I'm a you know, I'm someone who's very much in my head a lot of the time. Um, so it helps me, it helps me in a way just dampen that head noise, that head space that I'm often operating in. And I just get out and I just breathe and I just, yeah, allow the body just to sort of merge, you know, not wear too many clothes, go barefoot. And, um, and it's helped me um, develop not only just an amazing appreciation for our capacity but different elements of of strength as well so strength yeah. is not only a, about how much we can push or lift or pull or show off at the gym but it can also be a very much a, a subtle internal strength as well and that strength is through um through awareness it's the direct experience of of emptying yourself and then allowing that awareness to really um flourish so that's yeah that's sort of my fascination behind my my outdoor based training and that just affects um everything that i do when it comes to my writings and my teachings it's um it becomes something a lot bigger than you know just going down to the gym for your normal 90 minute session that's for sure yeah just when you were talking about just uh being intrigued by people's natural movement and how they and how they are in their day-to-day life when they're just subconsciously moving and one of, that's one of my fascinations as well is just watching people when they uh just watching people how they move and most of the time like you see their movement gives you like a a mirror image of what's going on in their subconscious be that through social programming and conditioning, like how, how, how were they raised? What's their fears? What's, what do they love? And you can see that in, in, as long as you have the eye for it in the subtle inclinations of their movement, like is it does someone look like their, like their body language. If when they're moving, are they defensive? Are they open? Mm. And it's, it's interesting that it's just, it's one of, it's one of those, it's one of those things that's just not very, 
prioritized in today's world of uh, like move, movement. It, movement is becoming more and more popular for sure, but it's one of those things that people are still are just scratching the surface of. Like they don't yeah. understand the full capability of what movement is. They just look at it as in like, they still think of it as an exercise Whereas you've got the combination of it being an exercise, but also like an introspective um, analysis at the same time as it being a meditation. So it is kind of a mind, body, soul unification um, Mm. practice. And one of the things that I like as well, which kind of ties in with this, is Paul Cech's outlook on when he sort of talks about exercise and relates it to the yin-yang. And he says mm-hmm. that the yin is like the female, which represents the anabolic, which is the building. And then the male is the yang, which is going to be the catabolic, which is the destruction. And mm-hmm. we, we get very caught up within the, within the male aspect, which is like exercise, which is catabolic. You're breaking down yourself. You're expending energy in order to, in order to do uh in, yeah. in you're just expending energy. Whereas we don't, really balance that out with practices in order to increase our energy, which would be doing like this movement meditation. It's the, it's the same sort of thing. It's almost like Tai Chi, Qigong, mm. all, of the, all of these sort of um, more sort of ancient energetic practices where it's about cultivating energy. And it's the same sort of thing that you're doing very similarly where you're very similar in nature where you're, yeah, you're out there in, like you said, like all, organic surroundings barefoot connected to the earth and you're just in flow it's uh Mm -hmm. yeah just in flow in the moments tapping into the body seeing what the body wants in that particular moment and it's i think most people just yeah just um very underappreciate the body's innate intelligence and they don't understand how to listen to their body they don't understand the the signs the like of you bait the whispers of the body, like the body doesn't necessarily talk to you, but it, it does communicate to you. And some people are just deaf to the language in which it communicates to you. And if you're doing, if you can tap into your body the way that you do, I guess you obviously become a lot more connected and in turn you become, a, yeah, just a, a lot of that connection to your body really does mm. change the game. And it's something that I've been experimenting with quite some time sure. now. And it's, um, What's been like the biggest revelations that you've kind of come across since you've been doing this sort of uh, practice? I mean, I think just, just going back to what you, what you mentioned before, it's, it's, it's very much this divide that we have in the West between more of an external focus on the way that bodies are, are, representative, are represented and also the way that they're, they're trained as well. So we have this incessant sort of need to show off our movements and to really push ourselves so hard that we completely deplete ourselves with, for energy. And that's kind of been shown in the West as being the sign of, of being the, of being pure strength, you know, that we just punish ourselves and we hammer ourselves so hard that we can physically be completely distraught and, and exhausted. And it's more of that externalized representation, that yang depletion, as you mm. said, whereas the, what fascinates me about the Eastern philosophy and, and a lot of the philosophical thought, not only for the body, but also for the sort of the, the mind, the body mind connection as well as that it's more of an internal focus that it's about energetics and it's about ways of tapping into um, the energies that actually give you nourishment as, uh, as, as opposed to actually completely depleting you. 
So it's a, it's an internal strength really that has um, been so just such a revelation for me is, is understanding that I have this reservoir of, of, of energy that's inside me, but if I'm not aware of it, then it's going to be exposed to me as a sort of a depleted externalized, um, you know, breakdown when it comes to my physical expression. And that's, and that's definitely the way from experience, the way that I, the way that I trained at a young age and the way that, you know, during certain difficult periods of my life and darker moments and depressive sort of states that I, that I just punished myself through depleting my body uh, as much as I could in order to sort of get out of my head or just exhaust myself so much that there was just nothing left to do other than to, to sleep. So, so I think the biggest, one of the biggest um, revelations in recent, in the recent well, 10 or 15 years, and, and certainly the, the, the main change in my practice is, is developing more of, a, of an awareness of what's going on inside my body and the way that you just need to develop this practice of nurture. So it needs to be this balance between resting the body, relaxing the body, and developing this connection with, with gravity, if you like, and in order to be able to be very explosive and be very strong and powerful when, when the time calls for that. So, so it's an ongoing perspective. It's very much sort of a Taoist perspective of, of doing, doing just enough, you know, and not overdoing it. And, and I think in the West, we've got, still got a long way to go to, to sort of learn, the, the, learn what the Eastern philosophies have been teaching us for so long that, that it's not all this external output that is really going to, make us um, feel our bodies and feel well in our, in our, in our bodies and minds at the end of the day. So it's a, it's actually a deeper, it's a deeper, it's a deeper process and a deeper sort of uh, goal of mine is to go beyond just thinking about the body as a, as a, as a physical, um, physical aspect of training, but actually think about the way that training the body this way um, allows us to develop a, a better sense of wellness in the way that we are going about our day-to-day lives and relationships um, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful practice, but it's a very much a hidden practice. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's not so commonly um, known or practiced or spoken about or taught in the West is because it's very much internalized. So there's no mm-hmm. real sort of, I think, you know, Bruce Lee, I think once said that showing off the, the fool's idea of glory or something like that. You know, so I think we're still in that sort of aesthetic showing off uh, stage in the West. Whereas if we spend time m- moving with medit- meditative um, intent, then I think that we can develop even more physical prowess, which is um, something that I'm definitely, yeah, I guess I'm definitely trying to promote that in my own way through my, through my um, practice. Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying about the way that the, the West, we, the way that we look at things, it's through a very materialistic, mm. reductionistic sort of lens. And it's, you can, it can be something at face value that seems so harmless, but it actually, it, yeah, it actually affects a lot, a lot of aspects of our life and you, and you wouldn't think it would affect the way that we go about exercise, but it's, that's one of the ways in which it has the biggest effect in that we, we're all, we're all, well, not everyone, but most people when they train, they're just for, they're looking for aesthetics. And if they're not looking for aesthetics, it's, there's always got to be some sort of quantitative reward, be it 
something that they can track is it is it a new pb is it what what way are they lifting what way are they sort of snatching now cleaning jerkins all, all of that and whereas you're from a perspective where it become it comes from a very qualitative um sort of approach where it's yeah. like you said it's more about it's something that can't be quantified it's like your connection with your body on a, on the deepest level can't be quantified and i i like that it's and then it's it's a combination of both it's a combination sure. of having that it's like the yeah again the yin and the yang it's the it's the po- it's the polar opposites that you need to be able to unify and find that connection between the qualitative work and the quantitative yeah man and, it's, it's not about i mean it's, yeah it's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater as well i mean aesthetics is you know as, and i know my friend um DJ as well agrees with us that aesthetics is a big part of why we actually spend so much time fascinated with, with training our bodies as well. Because, but, but if, but if we can think of the aesthetic outcome as a sort of a side effect of getting this more of a deeper internalized connection and sensitivity to our bodies and to our movement and to the way that we rest and the way that we use our different states of the nervous system in our training, then the actual, outcome is going to be in most cases is going to be aesthetically pleasing as well so it's definitely a it's definitely for me it's been a you know it's been a big part it's certainly a strong motivation um, in the early days of training the aesthetic and the performance side of things but as i've noticed in, in in the last 10 years or so that the aesthetics stay reasonably strongly grounded if you have that sensibility about you know ways of looking after your joints and you mentioned the FRC, um, the, f- the functional range conditioning, you know, if you have a, a general awareness and understanding of the way that joints need to be maintained and lubricated and taken through their range of motion and developing full range strength and mobility, then aesthetics generally tend to take care of themselves. But if you're purely going towards that trajectory of trying to get the pump on, then I think things can often come become a little bit, uh, sticky after a while if that's sort of the main intent behind the training so yeah it's not a it's not a right or wrong or either or it's just um it's just a perspective i think that a lot of people could probably um benefit from from questioning themselves yeah with the aesthetics i think there is a natural inclination within us a natural driving force a magnetism i guess where we are attracted to pursuing aesthetics and i I don't know i think one one of my theories about it is that the way like when we look at someone and they're aesthetically pleasing like what is it that actually pleases us and my sort of belief is that it's the geometry is that because that's the way that's actually what your your brain is seeing like you're seeing the geometry of their structure and as with anything, if you go into a Gothic cathedral, the Great Pyramids, any of the ancient sacred sites around the world, there's very specific measure, um, measurements, very specific ratios that are encoded within it that give us a sense of awe, as in like, it's holy, it's sacred, whereas the human body is the exact, it's the, is the exact same, like all of these temples were built with, in the accordance to be a, temple of the human body there was built with the same ratios as which is encoded in the human body so i feel like when someone is in good aesthetic shape i feel like we are naturally geared towards the appreciation of that due to the geometry that geometry is frequency and they're holding a certain frequency at a visual level which 
I think it's magnetizing. I think it. I think it's like the law of entrainment. Like you're naturally geared towards raising to that vibration if they're off, if that's what they're at. And then obviously, the more again, it is kind of like as above, so below. If you are in an aesthetically pleasing shape, then obviously the vibration you hold is going to be different than someone who has not got that shape. Mm. And because of that, maybe you do have a deeper. It does in turn maybe uh open up a deeper aspect of your being which allows you, which you can explore if if that's a big if you're willing to whereas i know plenty of people that are aesthetically pleasing to the eye and completely clueless and numb to any of this that we're discussing but uh i think i think the potential is there for sure and uh yeah so tom one of the things i wanted to know man and so it's like if someone was interested in getting into this and they come from your generic uh let's just say just just use america for example so just say they go to planet fitness and they're used to doing a a normal regime of like a normal sort of hypertrophy regime of just doing like three sets of 10 on a few different machines they do a little bit of cardio and then they've decided that they're going to go balls deep with your sort of philosophy like how would you start someone off who's come from a traditional um well, it's not even a strength conditioning background, a traditional generic fitness program to something more like what you're teaching. Like what would you start people off with and how would you progress it? Oh shit, man. I mean, I'd probably probably send them to someone else uh, firstly. Um, And if they persist, then I'd send them to to another person. And if they continue to persist, then maybe I would, I would try and realize that perhaps they're a little bit curious and a little bit interesting, interested in trying to, yeah learn from the beginning again and um you know to be honest it's it's really difficult um sort of getting people who have um a very sort of a limited body awareness um started with this um practice and uh, this deeper sort of internal practice so i often kind of confuse the hell out of people just by asking people about their their habits you know, their sleeping habits their their relative level of stress throughout the day uh, looking at their gait patterns, looking at their the way that they hold their body in s- static posture or certain just very basic movements, lying down, standing up, squatting. Um, so I'm, you know, to be honest, I it's, it sounds pretty harsh to say, but I, I sort of prefer working with people that are very aware of their bodies, mm-hmm. maybe high level athletes or people who have who have retired from a certain sport whose bodies are quite broken and are looking, you know, but also have that have that sort of awareness over many, many years of, of their bodies working with, with people who have only known a sort of a sedentary lifestyle. It's, it's very, it's very, very difficult to sort of give them a basic template. That's going to, you know, give them this six week transformation. Cause I just, I just don't believe in that shit. You know, I really, I really believe that things are, are so deeply connected with this foundational framework of, of, you know, getting to know your joints, getting to, getting your sleep patterns in order, um, basic sort of nutritional requirements that people need to be able to feel um, their bodies and feel a little bit of wellness and connectivity to their bodies. If you don't have a connection with your body, then it's it's so, you know, for me, it's just pointless giving people, you know, a, a dozen different exercises or movements and, and hoping for the best, you know, so I'm not really, mm. I'm not really the guy that, that, that is um, interested in, you know, selling myself out for the sake of, of, of getting a few, few dollars you know what i mean so so it's 
it's a tricky one, but, but yeah, people that persist and people that do work with me, um, from a private uh, one-on-one perspective, then, then there's a deep sort of a, a philosophical, um, process that people have to go through who are, who are really interested in this, um, this kind of work that I'm doing as well. Cause it's not simply about me giving them a set of movement tasks that are, that are going to help fix certain ailments that have been, you know, lifetime and coming or, or developing, you know, habits that have really developed over so many years. So, so I'm, um, yeah, man, I take, every, I take everyone that I work with on a sort of a, a one, one-to-one, one-on-one um, individual basis. And I just assess, talk to people and, and assess it from there. So there's no real um, generic uh, standard measures from, from my perspective, that's for sure. And what's the main reason that you generally come by for people wanting to work with you? Is there, is there like an underpinning sort of desire for something that you've kind of picked up on that these people may consciously or subconsciously be aware of or unaware of even that you feel is their desire to work with you, not necessarily work with you in particular, but in order to learn the, uh, your, the embody the philosophy that you, that you kind of embody yourself. Yeah, I would say um, it's different reasons. Of course, there's some people that are just sort of interested in the the mobility aspects, learning to be very strong and um, and wide ranges of motion, and um, and be have this sort of organic strength, if you like. There's some people that are just into that, but then there's this other group that um, you know people that contact me and they have this, as you said, this sort of subconscious yearning to have a deeper connection with something beyond just their body. So they want to understand the way that movement can actually be more of a creative um, entry point into a deeper sort of understanding and, and connectivity to not only their own psyche, but to their relationships with people close to, to them. And then this connection with, um, you know, maybe the connection with the unknown as well, the stuff that I talk about when it comes to um, working with plant medicines and, um, and, and having a, having a comfort in not knowing um, deeper aspects of our psyche, but having a curiosity and thinking that maybe just by participating in some of these movements or adopting some of these strategies or philosophies that I, that I go on about that maybe that could be a, you know, it may be a a roundabout entry point into this, uh, this realm that is perhaps not, offered in um in mainstream at least not mainstream fitness industry but maybe even not even this self-help industry as well so so a lot of the work in at least in the last few years has has, has sort of moved not just um into deeper bodily sort of aspects of of training but more into um the healing modalities as well as looking at ways of using the body to help heal and tap into a lot of these traumas that we that we all have from different stages of our lives so so i think it's generally people that that approach me they're people that that have a deep sort of philosophical yearning to know more about who they are and um and i'm hoping that i that i help some of these people with new ideas that's for sure Mm, yeah and another thing that i really liked about uh you tom i haven't seen you post about it for a while you used to do it a lot more from what i was aware i don't know maybe i just haven't seeing the right content is that you actually very switched on when it comes to nutrition as well. Like I used to love watching your, uh, the little vids that you used to put up of all the little sort of herbal tinctures that you used to 
sort of like concoctions, elixirs that you used to make? And yeah, what, what's going on nowadays with your nutrition? What, what, what sort of stuff have you been experimenting with? Have you tried anything? Have you got anything new? Have you got any sort of um, staples, like non-negotiables in your day that you're going to have or anything that you've tried and you thought was shit? I'm just uh, yeah, interested to know what, what you're sort of uh, working with nowadays. Yeah, I mean, nutrition has been uh, it's been a huge interest to me throughout my whole life. My father was very much a nutritionist and very, very interested in, in, in ways that we can nourish and nurture our body, um, very sort of um, non-conventional, unconventional um, methods. So I've always been very fascinated with um, not only nutritional science, but, often, but more sort of herbal science and different um, indigenous ways of understanding um, ways to nurture and energize our bodies. So, um, yeah, it's an ongoing research process, and I'm experimenting a lot with um, with different um, different methods and different um, different styles of eating. And the main thing that's been of interest in, in recent years, I guess, has been uh, fasting. So I've mm. been I've been diving into um, into the work of uh, specifically uh, Walter Longo um, mm-hmm. and um, I know Rhonda Patrick also talks a lot about um, about nutrition as well. Session Panda. Um, so the biggest revelation for me, actually, it, it, it sort of developed from my time in the Solomon Islands, was this idea of time restricted uh, eating or or intermittent fasting or fasting itself. Because um, you know, as you know, growing up with this strength and conditioning, um, bodybuilding style mindset, it's about just eating a shit ton of food as often as you can, right? Getting yeah. the carbs in getting the protein in, getting the, just getting everything in. And, and I had a lot of digestive issues um, growing up. And, um, and what I learned in the Solomon Islands was that food, the access to food was not consistent. So there was often times when you would eat, you would feast, and then there was often this long lay period where you wouldn't know when the next meal is coming. So that was a shock to the system. But I actually learned to enjoy it uh, and then developed more of that practice when I came back. and. Um, and learned to um, to sort of change my, I guess if I guess if you, if you think about it from a macro perspective, go from a, a carb based eater to more of a fat based eater. So I changed mm-hmm. my my energy cycles there from, from being a fat burner, and that was a huge huge change for me, and especially affected my training a lot um, to train in a fasted state, and just to feel that blood flow and that energy that I have within my body without having those, those digestive processes, um, going on. So yeah, two day, two to five day fasts, um, each month intermittent fasting most days, um, eating a lot less. I noticed over the years of, I've been eating a lot less and feeling a lot better from that. Um, more plant-based, so a lot less meat, uh, less dairy than before. And again, I mean, you know, nutrition, as you know yourself, it's just such a, it's such an individual thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, those of us who have been practicing and researching over the years, we sort of know that there's no, there's no one thing that works for everyone. So I never kind of give people advice when it comes to nutrition other than just experiment with yourself and see how your sleep patterns are, see how your libido is, your, your energy during training and your recovery. And those things there, those basic signals and signs are still to this day the the signals and signs that I look for um, as far as my own um, my own nutritional program is, is concerned. Yeah. So, 
So it's a, it's a fascinating topic. I love, I love food. I love the whole idea about um, showing reverence to where we get our food from, how it's sourced and, and what it can really do to our energetic state. Um, but I'm, a, I'm certainly a lot less inclined to overeat now than before. Mm-hmm. I see the fact that we can gain a lot of nutrition from being in a fasted state as well. So nutrition for me now is not necessarily about uh, what we actually get from stuffing food into our mouths, but it can also be about allowing our body to rest and restore um, and have these fasted states that can really provide us with a not only sort of cognitive energy as well, but also a physical um, sort of a physical spin-off to the way that we train as well. So it's um, yeah, it's a beautiful topic, uh, nutrition, and um, and I'm. I'm just an ongoing student, if you like, of, of nutritional science. And I also spend a lot of time just listening to my body and throwing the science, you know, as you, as you like, out the window and just listening to my body and what my body needs. How long are you uh, doing your intermittent fasting for? What's your window? Uh, it's, usually a, it's usually a 16-8 or an 18-6. Hmm. So I'll typically train during the day. Um, around noon and I'll finish my training around 4 or 5 p.m. and then I'll eat. I'll eat my, my first meal then. And I'll usually eat, um, depending on what day it is, I'll usually eat one or two meals a day. So my first meal around four or five o'clock, and then I, I'll eat again at around eight o'clock at night. Hmm. And um, what's your sort of caloric intake looking like? Are you in like a calorie deficit, a calorie surplus, or do you like to keep it like a maintenance level? Not that, because do you, do you track it? Like to be honest, I don't track calories at all with, but I've got like an idea in my head of, when I'm eating, like what's where I'm going to be at roughly. Mm. Yeah. No. And over the years you develop a a kind of an understanding about what, what the caloric intake of different foodstuffs are. So I I track every now and then just to, when I'm often changing up my, my routine, whether it's it's a a training routine or whether it's a a dietary change, I'll often track it just to be, just to check how things are. But it's, yeah, I I guess it's two to 3000 calories. But um, again, I I don't track. I just go more of on Mm. the way that I intuit my, the needs of my body dependent on my training. So if it's, um, yeah, maybe once or twice a week, I'll do a little bit of metabolic kind of work. So then, so then those days there'll be sort of a bit of a, more of a caloric backloading day. So I'll eat, eat a lot more the night before those days. And then um, during days of more internal practice, um, mobility work or soft practice, then it'll be um, uh, probably a deficit. But I'm a, I'm a hard, I'm a hard gainer. You know, it's really hard for me to gain weight, and um, and I'm just trying to basically to maintain my weight. Um, I've found this sweet spot um, of around 82 kilos that I've been for many years. That seems to be my my match weight or the weight that I feel good at, and yeah, basically my, my protein, my, my program is around, it's based around not counting any calories, but just sort of feeling good in my body and being able to perform where and when I need to and be very, um, yeah, be very sort of flexible in the way that I, that I can train so I can be ready for whatever, um, whenever sort of thing. So what are you doing now? And you're in, you're doing a sort of a plant based adapt plant-based like keto adapted diet is that the sort of thing that you're at at the moment yeah kind of if you've got to put if you have to put these labels on things yeah. you know, I, have, <laughs> I hate to put labels on things but yeah it was a kind of I, I had this sort of paleo I was beginning to this sort of paleo scene like 10-15 years ago and um, I was um, 
I was a kind of a, I think that's what sort of developed more of this keto sort of style, fat adapting uh, style of eating. And, and I found that was pretty useful to me, but I, yeah, in the recent years, I think I'm, I'm plant-based, but, um, but I eat a lot of fish, like living in Norway, there's good access to really good quality fish here. Yeah. Um, as long as it's not farmed fish, of course. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I would say plant-based, um, fat adapted, but, um, intermittently I'll eat uh, more heavier, um, foods like, um, like game meat. If I can get hold of game meat or organ meat, I'll eat that when, mm. when the body calls for that, you know, I'll get these phases where I'm just feeling light and feeling a little bit kind of empty for, for a particular feeling of, of, of energy that I, that I like to have. And that'll often be a signal to me that there's, you know, maybe there's certain deficiencies or, or, or nutrients that are, that are desired that simply can't be accessed through eating mainly a plant or, or fish-based diets. Then I'll eat, um, for, for a short period, I'll eat, um, some, some more heavier dense kinds of protein and fat and, um, and get a big boost there and, um, feel good about that. So it's, so I'm very sort of open to, to, to the way I eat, but it's always very, it's always been a very kind of, um, new, sort of nutritious, dense, um, organic, local as possible, seasonal based, uh, yeah. diet that I've had. So I'm very connected. I'm very, yeah. And I don't, I don't do so well on, on grains or, or a lot of dairy or certainly a lot of sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, I just feel like shit I feel bloated. I feel lethargic. Um, so I tend to, to avoid a lot of, um, yeah, very little sugar and um, more of a more of a low carb, um, I guess keto style, fat adapted, um, fish based plant. If you want to categorize it. <laughs> so, did you say you're based in over by Bergen? That's right. I'm in Bergen. I'm in the west coast of. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, is there any like traditional dishes over in like cultural like cultural dishes from Bergen? I'm guessing it's all going to be su- seafood based, seeing that it is uh, kind of on the coast and shit. Yeah. So- there's a lot of fish, but there's also um, it's very seasonal here because of course the weather is is very seasonal, and there's a lot of a lot of preserves and a lot of salted um, salted meats. So we have. Um, a tradition of eating lamb a couple of times a year. So lamb is mm. quite a quite a special dish here. Where they salt it and they actually smoke it as well. So different times of the year, we'll have traditional lamb dishes. Um, fish as well is preserved over the winter, so we'll have a lot of smoked fish and also mm. this um, yeah these kind of quite disgusting um, styles of of pickled fish as well that I don't I'm not particularly fond of. <laughs> So it's very traditional food here, a lot of root crops, potatoes and carrots and swedes, um, and then very strong sort of short, intense berry season. So I'll find that during the summer, you know, May to August, then I'll eat a lot of um, a lot of berries, a lot of apples, strawberries, plums, that sort of thing. But like a bit like England, I think. Yeah. And, and then the winter will be more kind of dense, um, heavier sort of fatty um, foods. So, but now nowadays, of course, you can get access to to anything at, at all times but i'm very sensitive to to sort of not um <laughs> the temptation is to sort of eat foods that you like all year round but i think from a physiological perspective we're not um we're not adapted to that and that can cause a lot of uh, a lot of gut biome issues i think if we're continuing to have very consistent food intake so i'm very much going with the seasons and enjoying a lot of the 
traditional food up here. Simple but nutritious, you know, because back in the day, people were hard workers here. They ate once a day and they ate a lot of food heavy, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, so I enjoy I enjoy a bit of lamb, and you know, growing up as a New Zealander, um, <laughs> lamb being a staple there, I'm I'm definitely partial to a to a, a nice cut of lamb. Yeah, everything's got a. It's all about nutritional density and intrinsic value. And like you said, then, like you've literally hit the nail on the head with that one when you were saying that in the winter, it's it's more sort of like fatty kind of meats for en- for energy, and then which would put you like that's it's really kind of like an an adapted uh, ancestral diet because in the winter it would have been animal fats, animal meats, which would have put you into a ketogenic state. And then as spring and summer rolled through, you would have then had access to like your berries and other sort of fruits and roots. And then that would have, uh, that would have been a little bit of an increase in carbohydrate intake. And then you would have gained, you would have gained some weight from that, which then would have then served you in a ketogenic state moving into the autumn and winter. So yeah, it's all, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's all part of the cycle. And like you said, it's when you start eating locally, uh, it really does connect you to the land and it just connects you to nature, to the cycles, to the natural rhythms. That, and that's, that's kind of what's, that's almost like, uh, or I say almost that is what spirituality really is. Spirituality sure. is just, yeah, just living in accordance to, to natural law living in accordance to the nate to the spiral nature and um yeah it's really interesting tom and another thing i wanted to ask man it's like you you, do you take many do you take much supplements uh at all not really yeah i'm um quite into my medicinal mushrooms um, in recent years so so i'll eat i'll eat them and um but yeah no i've dabbled a little bit over in, in the past with supplements and a little bit of ayurvedic herbs every now and then sort of for restorative purposes and my tea at night and um but i'm not i'm not a big supplement guy i'm really i was i was just raised um by my parents as i said who were very much into organic nutrition and 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 everything is provided by the land if you just spend time preparing and sourcing your own food stuff and i you know i'm a firm believer that there's no real need for supplementation if you're eating in a very very sort of a mindful way so mm-hmm. i i think it's all contextual again you know there's there's some people that could maybe benefit a lot from different kinds of supplementation but but again it's like my my belief that there's no real shortcuts to health it just takes a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of understanding of seasonal seasonal rhythms dietary variation and the context of what it is that your what your lifestyle is really demanding of you you know, so I'm again harking back to this idea of hormonal optimization. It's you know, dietary variation is very much about optimizing your hormones, and this can often occur, and it has you know biologically throughout our history because we are forced to change our diets throughout the season. So having this ability to be able to move in and out of different sort of you know ketotic states, if you like, or from higher carbohydrate loads to higher fat loads this is this is really what optimizes our, our, us hormonally i think and if we have this um this depletion in us and we're forced to take um a lot of supplements then i think it's it's maybe a sign that we could actually get back to some of the foundations of our nutritional plan that's maybe not according going according to to the way that our body actually demands from a from a physiological or a biological perspective yeah there's there's a lot of hormetic stresses out there for sure mm. and it's uh, it's very important to keep on keep on top of this because like you said man the hormones are the 
so so important like hormonal optimization they're the chemical messengers of the body and if they're out of whack then mm. your your whole connection to your body itself is out of whack oh, for and sure. then and yeah and you're just and that's that's again that's like one of the languages of the body and if you, sure. if, you yeah. if you're not if you're not fluent in understanding that then you're just so so much shit's going to happen with your body and you're going to be completely unaware of it just because of these hormonal imbalances and yeah, yeah it seems like everything just just the system that we're in in the world it's geared towards just hormetic stressors so just everything everything we're bombarded with is just constantly keeping us in that fight or flight mode constantly just just getting bombarded with adrenaline cortisol and then if mm. you're not if you're not like uh if you're not able to deal with that effectively either consciously or just subconsciously of having a good just good physiological um inner workings then yeah it's 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 gonna play its part and i guess that it's just putting it into context that some people are in need of dietary supplements and some people when like yourself for example like it wouldn't make much sense for you to take supplements because you've got you've got it dialed you've got shit dialed in like you live in in accordance to the local land in which you reside in so the food that you're eating is gonna be yeah it's local organic and yeah it's literally it just holds that vibration of the land which obviously you're then connected with through your through your um lifestyle being being out barefoot being do being connected to the land so it's 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 one of multiple factors multiple variables within the equation of complete health or holistic health Oh, for sure. And it's all connected, man. It's like the microbiome, it's influenced, you know, I remember reading somewhere that the microbiome is directly influenced by the position of the, of the sun in the sky, you know? So it's like, I was like fascinated by that, just the way that our microbiome is, is changing seasonally as well. So, you know, if we're thinking about the different enzymes that are active in our guts, then those, you know, those change with the seasons as well. So if it makes, it makes sense to eat certain foods at certain times, if the enzymes within our gut, are going to be um, better adapted to, you know, to break down gluten, for example, um, in the autumn, for example, could be an example of that. So I think if, you know, if, if there is a supplement that I would would recommend, it would maybe be a probiotic or some sort of um, fermented uh, addition of fermented foods, like all traditional cultures. If you if you do the research, uh, have some form of sort of fermentation in their in their um, their way of eating as well. So. So yeah, some sort of probiotic or, or ways of, of adding a little bit of a little bit more of bacterial sort of variability in our gut is going to be, uh, I think, a huge benefit to, to most people if that's if that's all we're going to do. You know, what's the uh, what's what sort of uh, traditional fermented dishes that they got over your end? Uh, we have kind of like like kraut kind of dishes, um, you know, cabbages and pickled vegetables, and also um, they do a lot of pickled fish as well so but mainly it's traditional kind of german style sauerkraut variations with whatever's available locally yeah so mm. that's um so i make my own and um also make my own kefir and kombucha as well and because i just enjoy that and it's, uh, it's a fun little project and it's yeah it's nice to it's nice to think that you're looking after your guts as well and trying to keep as many of these toxins out and you know avoid a lot of the stuff that we know is just going to do our gut no good so yeah i think there's little additions like that we don't need to get too wound up in in maybe a lot of the a lot of the fear that's that's pumped out there about we have to have this or we have to have that but um at least up here fermented stuff a little bit of vitamin d because of the sun deficiency and um 
generally eating a traditional kind of diet, I think is going to, it's going to, you know, knock out nine of the 10 issues, the main issues that people have with their, with their metabolic health and stomach health, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Same Tom. I'm just keeping an eye on the time. So I've kind of, I've, what we'll do begin to tie this one in a little bit man uh one of the things i want to ask you is just to sort of um yeah just to close this one off is that if you could if you could advise on one thing and it can be this is quite a hard question to be fair just to be put on the spot is like one thing physically mentally or spiritually what would you suggest is the is your sort of tip of the day for just optimizing yourself fully complete optimization for anyone that's listening oh man put me on the spot now um <laughs> advice yeah um i think it was lao tzu or might have said something like he he who knows does not speak and uh and, and he who speaks does not know so this is with <laughs> a grain of this is this is just uh with a grain of salt but anyway i think you know something that's really been a profound influence for me in my own personal practice and, and not only practice, but sort of outlook on life and in recent years has just been this, having this profound sense of, of gratitude for, for the opportunity that we have to live this life, to yeah. wake up every morning and to, to step out of bed and to, to breathe a new breath of air and to look at the, look at the sky, the gray sky, the blue sky, and, and just see that, see that potential that we have in every day from a, from a lens of, of just unbelievable gratitude. And I'm just so maybe it's through some of my experiences with the plant medicines, some of the heavy psychedelic experiences, or perhaps a, a, a near death experience as a child. It's like, I'm just so grateful to have this, this, this ability to be able to have conscious awareness on a daily basis. And that, that really the foundation of, of everything, everything that I do. I'm just so so grateful and have so much humility for for their the, the very being of life and i think everyone everyone has that everyone has that within them the possibility of of experiencing that and there's so many different ways to go about that but you know if we can just relax and just be a little bit more humble and patient with our own process and realize that it's 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 a lifelong process it's not about trying to get shit right here and now and affirmations of you know, 2019 being the year where I'm going to sort my shit out or <laughs> banish my demons. It's like, it's all good, you know, and I'm just, I'm just so grateful for, for the opportunity of experiencing really tough things and, you know, having bere close bereavements and relationship breakups and injuries. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's just, I have so much, I have so much a profound sense of, of love for life. And I just wish that I could um, somehow, share that with people through my work and through my, through my practice and you know, through my listening to different people and, you know, having chats with people like yourself is just to give people a bit of encouragement that life's good and everything will be okay. And, uh, and if we can just develop our own, you know, passion and sense of meaning and whatever it, whatever it is that aligns us and brings us presence and aliveness and connection to something, to something bigger then then, then I think that we're, we're not going to be disconnected and we're going to be a little bit more satisfied and, and, and chilled with our, with our day-to-day -day life. Yeah. I think the gratitude is a, is a solid, a solid tip, man. Like the gratitude itself, it holds the highest frequency 
in the universe, man. So if you can embody that and you, and you could be grateful, it would just, it just, it, yeah, it just puts you on a different level of consciousness. It really does. It really does kind of rise, like raise you above a lot of the bullshit in the world. And it's, uh, yeah, definitely look, look at life for a different lens, different perspective for sure. And, uh, yeah, just, um, I think it's one of those that people don't do enough. Like even myself, it's like, I try, it's like, you have to practice it. Some people mm-hmm. it comes natural to some people you have to practice it, but if you practice it, you begin to cultivate it. And then eventually it just becomes more natural and natural. And it's something that, yeah, I've had to, I've been working on myself for, for the past few months to really embrace the journey. Like you said, it's like kind of in a culture where, we want instant gratification. We want something right here and now. And uh, you just got to be, you got to be kind of, yeah, you got to be grateful for everything, just being alive, just being able to experience the third dimension, just to be able to, yeah, really have the chance to live, Mm. to live at this time. Like it's a very special time in the world in human history. So although people might be completely oblivious to that or unaware of the significance of the time that we're living in, it's a lot. There's a, there is a lot to be grateful for, even at face, if at face value, shit's hitting the fan in your life and things aren't going to plan. And yeah, you didn't, you didn't get the promotion. You, you're, you're lost. You got no purpose. You got, you don't feel fulfilled. There's always something to be grateful for. And it's just training yourself to be able to find that own in on that. And yeah. And so, yeah, like I said, cultivate that gratitude, but, um, yeah. Anyway, Tom, it was great having you on, man. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, dude. And one of the things that I need just before we pop off is for everyone that has enjoyed it today and they're either new to you or they want to, they want to know a little bit more about you, then whereabouts can guys find you? Um, Primal Movers, um, most of the social medias, but uh, predominantly my, my main, um, updated uh, work and, and musings are on Instagram. So at Primal Movers, and there's some stuff on YouTube as well. And there's, there's the website as well. But, um, but if you want to connect, then um, jump on the old Instagram there. That's, that's open and um, send me a message if you, uh, if you, uh, if you want to connect. Yeah, for sure. Cool. If you've got any workshops coming up, any retreats, anything get like that. Yeah, actually I've got, um, couple of things cooking on me i'll be having a, a small retreat here in norway in um in june and then in july i'll be in peru most of the month so i've got a retreat down there so if you're nice. interested in joining me and a few other cool cats down in peru in the sacred what are you valley. doing down in peru man uh we're going to be down in the sacred valley and um this amazing retreat center down there near pisac so we'll be doing some movements and meditation some sound therapy and some plant medicine down there <laughs> i was gonna say is there gonna be any san pedro or ayahuasca on the menu for sure man it's gonna be nice. uh, it's gonna be some san pedro there during the retreat and opportunities to join me um for ayahuasca ceremonies as well if that's of interest to anyone and then later in the year um strong camps daniel murakami and i we're uh, we'll be in California at the Joshua Tree um, with a second event with the Emptiness Project uh, at the end of October. So if anyone's interested in, in joining myself and DJ for uh, for a retreat there, and that'll be um, a very eye-opening, body-opening, mind-opening, expanding event there. That'll be in the fall and in October. So there's a few events, and um, if anyone's interested, then just shoot me a message and 
uh, get on board. It'll be fun. All right, man. Sound, Tom. That's great. Um, I'll throw all that shit into the into the show notes as well. And we're uh, we'll leave it at that. But thanks again for coming on, man. It was uh, it was great to have you on, and hopefully everyone has enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, man, we'll have to get you on again sometime. And I think it's uh, I think I think everyone's going to pick up quite a bit of this. It's a different philosophy and outlook than a lot of the most at the moment, and it's very refreshing, very rejuvenating to kind of to learn about it from from uh, from the mouth of yourself. And yeah, it's, it's again, it's just about actually embodying this as well, trying it out, going out into nature, going out and just. Yeah, getting in touch with your body, and I think uh, seeing someone like yourself walk that path is yeah very motivating to do so, man. Yeah, well, thanks, Chris. Just uh, yeah, everyone, just get out there and smile and stay strong. All right, man. All right, guys. That's the uh, that's the end of episode forty-five. Episode forty-five, guys. Oof. Okay. Hopefully, you enjoyed this one. As always, stay woke as fuck, and we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>